morning and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. We got an interesting one today. We got a woman today who was trying to get Connecticut aware of and ready to pass the ERA. Remember the ERA? Well, you might think I mean the Equal Rights Amendment, because actually that's back on the table too from a generation ago. But there's a new ERA in town. It's called the Environmental Rights Amendment. And it's kind of mind-blowing. It, uh, it, it started in a place called in Montana, of all places. And now people like our guest today, Kimberly Stoner, are trying to add it to the agenda in their own states. Kimberly Stoner, welcome to Dateline New Haven. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. I think yeah. you should find a microphone. Yes, you should find a microphone. <laughs> yes, thank you very much, Paul. And um, so can you talk right in the mic, sir? I'm still not hearing you. Not uh, hearing me. Uh oh. There we go. Okay. So, Kimberly, are you associated with a group that existed before? Did a group come together to try to pass an environmental rights amendment in Connecticut? So it's kind of a complicated story. Um, so um, I am a member of the steering committee of C3M, the Connecticut Climate Crisis Mobilization. And I'm now also the Director of Advocacy for Connecticut NOFA, the Northeast Organic Farming Association of Connecticut. And they're involved in this too? They're both involved in this, yeah. So, um, uh, but it's actually kind of a personal passion of mine. Um, I also originally heard about it from, uh, through Quakers. I am a member of the New Haven Friends Meeting. Mm-hmm. And I met a woman in Maine who was working on what they call in Maine the Pine Tree Amendment. So an amendment to the Maine state constitution that would is a green amendment. That's what they refer to these as. Um, and uh, got really interested in it at that point. Um, when are we talking about? So that's... Um, a couple of years ago. So this has been going on for a couple ago. of years, even though Montana really just happened recently. Yeah, so Montana has had an environmental rights provision in their constitution since the early 1970s. So Montana and Pennsylvania both uh, put environmental rights into their state constitutions in the the period in the early 70s when most of Earth the Day great, came yeah, out. Yeah, when people, Earth Day happened. But I didn't think of Montana as a hotbed of environmental activism. Uh, it's, it's actually, it's a pretty interesting story. Um, they um, uh, had a constitutional com- convention in Montana in the early 1970s, and yeah. uh, the environmental rights was a big and controversial part of that constitutional convention. And um, uh, because in Montana, as you know, there's all kinds of mining and, uh, and coal mining and gold mining and copper mining, and there's been so, had been so much environmental devastation that uh, people in the uh, Montana Constitutional Convention said, it's time to put people's rights to a clean environment. What's interesting about that is, and again, from a distance, my understanding was that those interests, the mining interests, would control the political process in general. Was the um, constitutional process a way to bypass what happens at a legislature? Yeah, I think that's right. Yes, I think that you know it was more of a people's constitutional a constitutional convention. So it was it was an opportunity for the people to uh, to take uh, some some power from the big mining 
operations that that often controlled the legislature. So yeah. let's fast forward to this year, 2023. Based on that provision in the Constitution, young plaintiffs in Montana, organized by adults, filed a lawsuit saying, based on the Constitution, they were being denied their right to clean air, clean water, and a safe environment that's surrounding the Constitution because of climate change. So what exactly happened? They, they won with surprise. They got a court right in Montana to rule that their constitutional rights are being violated by the destruction taking place in the environment. So what does that mean specifically? What does it mean for the law there? What it means specifically is that the legislature in Montana, as you noted, tends to be controlled by corporate interests. The legislature in Montana had passed a law that, that forced the environmental organizations, the environmental administration, whatever it is, the Department of Environmental Protection or whatever it's called in Montana, to ignore any effects on climate change when uh -huh. they were considering fossil fuel um, installations. And so um, what the, the Held versus Montana, that's the name of the case, what the Held versus Montana did was overturn that state law. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, part of what the power of constitutional amendments is. You know is. what I love about people at all ages who are involved in your movement is you're so optimistic. And optimism is not less accurate than pessimism, right? There's some of us who think that being pessimistic about the chance for change in life or nihilistic about beauty and love, that that's all silly and that truth is always ugly. And it's not true. We did have a civil rights movement. We do have gay marriage. We do have an arc of history that does bend toward justice. But, you know, I look at something like this and I say, okay, they passed this, and even if the U.S. Supreme Court allows it to stand, all they have to do now, next time they want to pass this law, is issue some bogus report published by the Mining Interest Controlled State Administration in Montana that says, okay, we've taken into, in, into account the impact on the environment that this will do, and we conclude that the net balance is positive. Am I right, or is there more teeth to this? So it remains to be seen exactly how it's going to go through the courts. For one thing, it doesn't go to the U.S. Supreme Court. It goes to the Montana State Supreme Court. And after Court. that, it doesn't because state, some because state issues do not go to federal. it's a state constitution. Yeah. yeah, it's a state constitutional amendment. So um, I doubt, I don't know very much about the Montana Supreme Court, but I doubt yeah. that it's, it's very favorable to, um, to environmental concerns. Um, so, uh, but there are intellectually sincere conservatives, and then there are the intellectually cons insincere brand we now see being voted in, like when they try to overthrow who's elected to the Wisconsin or Michigan Supreme Courts, you know, uh, uh, based on what results they want. If it's sincere conservatives, they'll look at that 1971 constitutional amendment and say, it says what it says, right? Yeah, so that's, that's what happened in Pennsylvania. So yeah, so that's what happened in Pennsylvania. So... It's not necessarily um, a conservative versus progressive kind of a divide. So, well, the, uh, the definition of conservatism would include preserving the environment. Yes. Well, yeah. So, um, well, actually, I just right. came from the Connecticut League of Conservation Voters and uh, meeting this morning, the breakfast this morning, and um, uh, David Bingham, who was being honored for his lifetime achievement, made a big point of saying that a lot of the people who were critical in Connecticut in getting the Connecticut Environmental Protection Act passed were Republican. And of course, Thomas Stewart McKinney, the old congressman, low like a senator, that was a different kind of Republican. Actually, out of Teddy Roosevelt, the progressive movement and the environmental concession came out of Republicans. So it's not 
completely, it's an important thing. It's like saying Abraham Lincoln fleet freed the slaves, so therefore the next 170 years of Republican politics didn't happen. I mean, there was a switch, right? Republicans used to be the party of conservation. The Democrats were not because they came from blue-collar industrial areas, and they did a 180 in both directions, right? Like the Bingham family is the best example, right? The Bingham family were those old Republicans who would be hounded out as rhinos now. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to... Like, well, maybe you say don't make assumptions about people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Deal with right. the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, and that's, um, you know, that's the, completely my approach to this uh, Environmental Rights Amendment is it's, it's hard to take a public stand against the right of the people to clean and healthy air, water, soil, and environment. Um, mm. So I think, um, you know, it's, I don't know how that's going to play with Republicans, but I, I intend to talk to Republicans as well as Democrats and anybody else. So, <laughs> yeah. And we're talking to Kimberly Stoner, who's a driving force in Connecticut to get an ERA passed. Not the Equal Rights Amendment, though I'm sh I have a hunch you might be for that as well. It did pass here. But an environmental rights amendment to our state constitution that would, what would it do? So, um, again, it would, um, it would put these rights into the Bill of Rights in the state constitution. So, it would, it would put, put powerful protection into the constitution Regardless of what happens in the future, so I mean specifically, is there what's the language? So the language, I have the language right here. Um, I can read it. It's a little bit long. Go for it. Each person of the state of C Connecticut shall have an individual right to clean and healthy air, water, soil, and environment, a stable and safe climate, and self-sustaining ecosystems. The state, including any political subdivisions thereof shall not infringe upon these rights and shall protect these rights equitably for all people regardless of race, ethnicity, tribal membership status, gender, socioeconomics, or geography. The state shall conserve, improve, and protect Connecticut's natural resources and lands, including but not limited to its air, water, waters, sorry, waters, flora, fauna, soils, climate, and ecosystems for the benefit of all people including present and future generations. The rights stated in this section are inherent, inalienable, and indefeasible, are enforceable without implementing legislation, and are among those rights reserved to the people and are equivalent with all other inalienable rights. Okay, it's a mouthful, but it's really clear. And I get a sense at the end what you wanted to avoid was any kind of uh, lawsuits like we're seeing now at the federal level against the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and environmental agencies that says the executive branch is overstepping its authority to carry out goals that might be in the Constitution didn't have a specific law written for them. You have written at the end of that paragraph you just read that you don't need specific laws to carry this out. Right. Um, so, and that's what gives it the power to overturn the the legis bad legislation like happened in my I want to get to the skeptical arguments people have against these, but first I want you to tell me a little more about where you're at with this. You don't just get to change the Constitution overnight. What has to happen? So, um, this, uh, a version of this was introduced in this last uh, state legislative session. Um, it got a lot of support. We have like 42 organizations that have signed on in support of this. It got a public hearing, and that's as far as it went. It didn't ever get to a vote in the Environment Committee. So, um, 
So this year, what we're going to try to do, and I have a petition that I'm working on, is bring it to the Government Administration and Elections Committee because they have to approve any constitutional amendments. And then it will also go to the Environment Committee. It will go to the House and the Senate. Um, they will vote on it. If, they, if it passes both of the houses with 75% of the vote, in, then it would go to a referendum. Um, if it passes with less than 75% of the vote in both houses, then it comes back and it has to go through the state uh, general assembly again. And then if it passes twice with a majority both times in both houses, then it goes to a referendum. And that's what we do with early voting. That's, that's what we did. Exactly. That's what so we did with early done. voting. It can be done. It took a long time with early voting. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 by definition, anything that happens is possible to happen again. And it took a long time to wreck the environment. It'll take a long time. We have a long time we're looking at about what the effects will be. So a few extra years is probably worth it in the trenches, right? Well, and I think it takes care of a lot of, of possibilities, you know, as we were saying. So the Montana, Pennsylvania um, environmental rights passed in the 70s, and then they are still protecting the environment in Montana and Pennsylvania 50 years later. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, so uh, it, it has... And it is the kind of issue that does belong in a constitution, because it's about fundamental rights. Yes, actually, yeah. So it, it guides it what kind of legislation you pass. So what did you hear when you, did, what did people ask you, the legislators, when you had this hearing? What arguments did you hear for and against? So, um, so arguments for is uh, that there are a lot of gaps. Um, there, in the last legislati legislative session, there um, was a huge effort, which was very important, <coughs> to pass an environmental, an improvement to the environmental justice laws. But this, the environmental justice laws still have lots of gaps. And you're talking them. about like um, parts of the city, like cities where more people are congregating, people of color, which have the worst air pollution, like where I-95 and I-91 meet, that kind of thing. Is that what you're looking for with the environmental justice laws or it's where waste is dumped or yeah, power so, plants go? So it regulates all of those things, but it applies only to distressed municipalities or distressed census blocks and new haven right, is not necessarily a distressed right, municipality. the horrible news is our economy got a little better so we're <laughs> right over the line of what a distressed community is and so even though we have just many pockets of poverty they can now uh, cough and get asthma because we, we make too much money in other parts of town yeah yeah so you know so there's a provision in there about um that the state uh deep may um, uh, not it may refuse a permit in overburdened communities, and certainly New Haven is an overburdened community. But if we're not a distressed municipality, it doesn't apply to us. And DEP is Department of Energy and Environmental Protection. Right. So, Kimberly, let me ask you. Let me throw at you some things opponents say. Mm -hmm. One thing is that it's very fungible about what actually can document is the cause. Like we know, man-made factors have caused climate change. We know that. Other factors, of course, climate change. The climate has always changed. People have contributed because of our burning of fossil fuels and like methane from cows and, and industrial agriculture. Can you really accurately put your finger on what is causing long-term environmental damage 
even if you know that smokestacks make you cough and the, they can give people asthma, can you really document scientifically what each individual source of climate change is when you're making these decisions? Like, if you're going to say, should there be a wind farm off Bridgeport's harbor, like, can you document? Well, so... Um I'm a scientist. <laughs> um, Tell me about that. I'm an entomologist. I have a PhD in entomology. Is that ants? Uh, that's insects, all okay. insects. I'm, and most of the time I worked on, in the last 10 years or so, I worked on bees, actually. So I that's think a whole ants, other story. Ants and bees are like the most fascinating creatures in the world. Like, haven't you spent like endless, well, I guess you, you do for a living. Like we've all spent endless times watching ants carry chicken bones and stuff. You know, it's like how they work as a team is just bizarre. And how the, the male bees like just live for the queen and then they get like clobbered while the, she keeps living all the honey gets made, you know. So, uh, <laughs> I just think they're fascinating. They are fascinating. <laughs> there are bits of that that are not entirely accurate. But I'm, I'm sure not it's completely inaccurate. I'm not an entomologist. I'm just someone who watches them do stuff. Yeah. Which part is inaccurate? The bees? So uh, the male bees are not doing any work. All they're doing is servicing the queen, mating yeah. with the queen. It's the worker bees, the, the female oh. bees that are doing oh. the work. Like yes. in human beings, the women do the work and the men get the credit. <laughs> um, yes, I often make that joke I, when I was giving talks. So what do bees. they do? What do the male bees do? Uh, they hang out. They uh, drink Why? some nectar. They, they What's their function? They mate. Their function oh. is to mate with oh, the queen. Oh, they sit around and it was time to mate. Okay. Queens. And then, so it's really a class issue. <laughs> so all these other worker bees aren't unionized. And they're in the hive and the, and the queen's power is just like monarchical. Yeah, the queen controls them through hormones, actually. Well, what about the ants? They're, they're brilliant. Like you have the scout who spends out where you can get in and you get that food. And they get so many of them carrying little chicken bones that are huge in their world, you know. So uh, <laughs> I remember when you said chicken bones. You spent an hour watching chicken bones. Yeah. You're pretty fascinated by chicken bones. Yeah. Um, well, there were tiny, tiny bones like this, but they took like 50 ants to come and get them. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, there are lots of species of <laughs> ants, just like there are lots of species of bees. Actually, I should say there's. Um, I I'm about to uh, publish along with my colleague Tracy Zarillo. There's like 378 species of bees in Connecticut. Wow. Um, and she's the lead author. I'm I'm just helping out. But um, so not all the bees have that that structure, and not all ants have the same structure either. Um, sometimes there's like multiple queens. Sometimes you oh. know there's all kinds of different variations. But yeah. and then the bees. Now why, a lot of bees are dying off, and honey's really expensive, and like we're not getting as much honey, and there's as much pollination going on. Is that correct, or is that also not true? So that's not actually entirely true. Um, so well, you're um, debunking all my like <laughs> entomological reality here. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we have actually um, somewhat more bees oh. in Connecticut than we had before the famous colony collapse disorder in 2006 and 2007, um, and that's partly because so many people are worried about honeybees oh. that they they think. The thing to do is to is to keep colonies of honeybees. Um, actually, I'm much more concerned about other bees. There's we, there are species of bumblebees that we used to have in Connecticut that are probably extirpated mm. from the state. They no so you're saying that here. the environmental reasons for the threat to that one group of bees is the source of a much bigger problem that we should be looking at rather than whether we get honey instead of tuna. Yeah, yeah, it's bigger than honeybees for sure. Yes. But then, so then why is, why is the honey so much more expensive? Like I always buy uh, 
uh, what's his name's honey, you know, the peace honey? Uh, Vincent Decay. Yeah, Vincent K. Yeah, yeah. Which I really Vincent like K. that honey. It's just quite expensive. <laughs> and what do you think about the whole issue? I can't really uh, okay, but is speak that an to how Vincent K. Speak about, prices okay, speak about <laughs> vegans. Okay. And I love Vince. He's great. He's an old hippie. You know, but what about the, what about the um, issue about vegans and vegans? There's that whole, like, I'm a vegan who does eat honey. And other people say, that's bee vomit. You say, well, it's just passing through them, and they're slaves in those colonies. But other <laughs> people say that's part of nature and actually helps them living, and it's a byproduct. Do you have, as an entomologist who actually knows what this stuff is, rather than those of us who just, like, talk about it, is bee vomit something that... Ve- is it bee vomit? It isn't really bee vomit. <laughs> okay, but it goes through their body, right? Yes. Yeah, so but they, they're doing they a good process purpose it, They say that, that um, one reason why honeybees... Um, produce honey is because they are metabolically active through the entire winter and unlike mm. a lot of insects that that overwinter um, as dormant in some kind of dormant stage they are metabolically active through the winter they're actually heating up the hive through the entire Ooh. winter and they're sort of burning honey metabolically speaking in order to make it through the winter and again this is the female bees the ones who really do the work not the males who are sitting yeah, yeah, around they, just they to get mate. rid of all the male bees before winter yes that's good, good um, <laughs> but, but what about the argument should philosophically should vegans be eating honey so um, I know some Same vegans. Same thing as eggs and dairy. I, um, so I know some vegans who do, and some vegans that don't. Right. And I know also some vegans who say, if we if we leave enough honey for the bees to be able to make it through the winter, then we can take some of the honey and eat it, um, so that the bees still have what they need. So you know. Okay, that's it's, a little bit of the agriculture it, argument. What about the argument? Is it if you're philosophically against animal products and animals? eating them is it like eating an egg is it like eating dairy or is the idea that you're keeping a a, a cow artificially pregnant all the time and you know milking them is that different from the bees having a natural process or is the milk just like the the honey so um is it morally I'm and ethically not a vegan, by the way. i know but morally but you can think about the moral and ethical arguments do you see them as parallel or not that's the whole nub of the issue um so uh my understanding of of vegan philosophy about uh, dairy is that um, you you kill off the calves so that you can have the milk. That's um, one of the arguments. Yeah, and um, so you're not killing off bees if you, I mean if you're doing this this thing where you only take the honey where. But are you enslaving them? They no, well, this is what they naturally do. That's They're, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the cows aren't naturally laying eggs. I mean, chickens aren't actually <laughs> eggs all the time. The cows aren't naturally having milk all the time, right? Um, so, yeah. So, cows are naturally having milk for their calves. But not probably. And the chickens would normally uh, mate and produce fertile eggs. And instead, we have all these eggs that are not fertile. That we is it an eat. animal product, honey? Or is it an animal byproduct? That's actually a crucial question. Uh, I'm finding out if I'm going to hell or not, basically. So, that's why I'm asking <laughs> these questions. It's a little bit personal. <laughs> Yeah, this is not what I ex- expected this interview. Well, you, you might do the environment. We're doing the environment. Come on. Um, so um, uh, I guess I would say it's an animal byproduct. I mean, because you're not killing bees. And is the honey part of the bee since they processed it? In, basically, they they're processing process it with their bodies. They're, they're but but is it the same thing as processing an egg in your body, or is that different the milk? Because they're actually producing it rather than processing the egg in the milk, right? Oh, gosh. Okay, you know what? I'm going to talk to you about you really came here to about. Kim Stoner, <laughs> who just impressed me with how much science she knows. She's helping lead 
state efforts for an environmental rights amendment, the new ERA, that would enshrine in our Constitution a right to free to clean air and water, and so that um, we can save future generations from the deadly effects of climate change. Fair way to put it. Yeah, I think that's okay. so. So you're going to continue the campaign the next time. So another argument against these efforts are the unintended consequences argument and the what science doesn't know yet but would know later argument. So in the 1970s, when Montana was passing some Pennsylvania was passing this, a key crusade of the environmental movement was to stop nuclear power, mm-hmm. right? And say that the, you could never bury it forever. The byproducts is dangerous. It's hurting the earth. And now many environmentalists, including the Environmental Defense Fund, its leader Fred Krupp, have embraced nuclear power as the clean energy because it was first environmentalists who came up with promoting nuclear power. Then it was the environmentalists who led the efforts against it because of the really harmful, not just the meltdowns and the Chernobyl effects of the Three Mile Islands, but the very fact that for hundreds or thousands of years you're going to have it buried underground. And but then there was a 180 again with half of the I'd say I don't know what the real numbers are you would know Kim a real good chunk of the environmental movement is now embracing nuclear power with the right safeguards and any technological advances as an alternative especially to fracking but also obviously coal as you want to fade us out and fossil fuels so given that and again I'd like you to correct my science as you did so well with the entomology it was actually kind of hilarious I thought but anyway how wrong I had everything there about the ants and the chicken bones and the bees but. Am I wrong about that narrative? And if I'm right, and again, I'm doing devil's advocate here. I actually have to admit I would vote for the Environmental Rights Amendment in two seconds. But, you know, for people who have arguments against it, they say, look what happened with nuclear power. You know, when you have these decisions you're trying to make based on what the science is now, you're understanding it now, 10 years later, you might find you're 180% wrong because science is more complicated. And look, at was this like nuclear power when you're saying we want to use this amendment to stop certain kinds of fossil fuel production? So, um, that's a complicated question. Um, so, uh, I would say that um, the rights are the same over time. The rights, your right, your right to clean and healthy, right. yeah. healthy air, water, soil, stable climate, all those rights um, are essential to human life, to, um, you know, the life of the environment. Um, and they remain o- the same over time. Um, as science uh, changes, you know, and, and we discover new things over time, uh, sometimes our interpretation of uh, what is a threat and how we balance the different threats may change over time. But the rights remain the same. So I think, you know, having, having a statement of the rights actually makes perhaps more sense than having um, than fighting on the same level for a whole lot of specific regulations because we're 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 establishing the fundamental principle and then that will get interpreted i find that so that answer so strong because then once you have the parameters of which we're working we're making a statement in our constitution about what we value that can even have us look more closely into the research of different energy sources, like, you know, before we embrace fracking, realizing the poisons it's keeping in the, going to seep into the groundwater, that this might actually be an incentive to make smarter decisions Absolutely. if we have these state as a purpose. Yeah. So what, so what was really said against it when you, why didn't it go get up for vote? So mostly um, people said there are all kinds of, we don't, we don't understand what it's going to do, and there may be all di- kinds of unintended consequences. So that's, that was a big argument. Did they give examples? 
Because um, that's a fair argument, by the way. And in many constitutions, it's not like you're passing and repassing a law year to year. You, you're, it's a lot of work, and you're, you you want to think about it carefully. You know, yeah, deliberative it's, a, process. It's, a, it's a big, broad, bold stroke, for sure. Um, and I understand that. Um, so uh, people argue that all, um, all industry, all commercial development will stop because... Um, we, we how can we how can we do any of those things? Well, that's without just fatuous. That's just the front for saying you know we don't want to have any rules on us or restrictions, right? Yeah. Well, so um, it means you know if we had the environmental rights amendment, then people would have to do their industry and they would have to do their commercial development in such a way that it's not going to infringe on people's rights to okay. We're okay with that. A healthy environment. Yeah. yeah um, and uh, and also. Uh, the folks who look at what happened in Montana and Pennsylvania and New York, I should mention New York, New York passed a, their own uh, environmental rights amendment in 2021. People mm-hmm. who have looked at the, what has happened in those states have not found that it stops all industrial and commercial development. It's such a heavy lift to stop private interest that you kind of need five of these amendments to even like it a level playing field, it, right? It, it gives people more power, yes. Yeah, okay. So we're talking about giving people more power. So Kimberly Stone, before I let you go, tell me how you got involved in this work. So you've been an entomologist, you've been involved with science, you're the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station. You still there? I am emerita now. I retired in June of Congratulations. Last year. After <laughs> 25 years? After 35 years. years. That's yes. a great place. Yes. I mean, yes the work it you is. do there is so great, you yeah. know. And so is that how you got involved in environmental activism, or did it go the other way around? So um, I would say it went the other way around. I've always been interested in the environment, and, um, and uh, I did some policy work when I was at the experiment station. I was involved in the state law that made neonicotinoids re- reduce, uh, what do you call it, restricted use, restricted use pesticides, so that um, homeowners couldn't just lie buy imidacloprid and put it on their lawns. Um, so, uh, but that was a very different policy experiment. I, I mean, experience. Um, uh, I was like invited in by the environment committee who wanted to figure out like how to write the law. Fun. <laughs> so that's so great. That was really a lovely experience and and very different from like coming in from outside and trying to get. Then your place gets real busy every fall when they're like if they're mosquito diseases, right? Like West Nile and stuff. Everybody looks to the egg station to tell us. Oh yeah, where it a, is and what to do about it. Yeah. yeah, the experiment station is very involved in mosquitoes um, and uh, West Nile virus and Eastern you don't hear much about West Nile anymore. So um, they do test mosquitoes. Um, you're not probably seeing the uh, press releases that come out on a periodic basis from the experiment station with what towns they've found West Nile virus and what and uh, eastern equine encephalitis, which is in uh, somewhat in eastern. Well, this is a week every year, when it now, where Jews eat all their meals outside, and some of us sleep in these Sukkot. Right. Yeah. And it was about when West Nile hit. There was this debate based on agricultural experimentation report. That it was actually against Jewish law to eat outside that year because of the threat of West Nile virus, oh, especially old people would die. We haven't heard anything like that since. That one year when they found him in New Haven, well, we didn't follow, not everyone agreed with that, but like they did worry about the netting, they did worry about people who are older. And we're not, but whereas now I'm hearing more about like malaria coming back and the new resistant strains of that in Africa and even the netting doesn't work. That yeah, to be that's the biggest, a huge thing. That's worthwhile. the biggest problem. Yeah. yeah, that's worldwide. It's a huge problem. Yeah. So, so it was before you worked for Ag Station 
that you were concerned about the environment involved in these kind of issues. Yeah, you know, when I was in high school, I was the president of the Protect Your Environment Club. Oh, right. What year was that? Oh, gosh. What year was that? When you graduating <laughs> high school? Uh, 1975. Okay. Yeah. So you were part of the anti-nuke stuff? No, I was um, more involved in recycling. So we were collecting newspapers and all recycling right. them. And now, is your heart breaking about recycling now that it turns out all this recycling we do is ending up in like poor neighborhoods in the Philippines, like people's street? I mean, really? NPR yeah, yeah, this, plastics. I mean, is our yeah. stuff even really being recycled? Or is it all just a game? Not very much of it's being So recycled. why do they do it? Why are they doing it? Why are they picking up our trash and pretending to recycle it? Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. Um, and... Um, yeah, uh, so we have to turn off the tap. We have to, like, instead of, like, trying to recycle it, we have to stop using so much plastic. Well, so, like, the energy stuff, right? Like, is there any real alternative to using less energy, which is a really hard sell, right? Yeah, so with energy, I you know, people have, have studied it, and they have found that it's feasible to, to run our economy on renewable energy, on uh, and also wind, using, water, and solar. And also using less, I'm talking about, like having the buildings that are designed to to need less energy, to just not drive as much, to not, you know, do more stuff by hand, I don't know. And also what you're eating, you know, if you're eating stuff that you can compost, you're leaving a different footprint from having heavily produced and shipped uh commercial foods, no? Right. I've, it's, that's true, and... Um, uh, it's also true that, you know, how it's packaged matters and how it's produced matters. I mean, so what I'm, are we going to do about recycling? So, um, I mean, I get your point. Let's use less. But until we change how everybody in the world operates except for five of us, what are we going to do? <laughs> so uh, there, were, uh, there were bills in the state legislature last session, which didn't go anywhere, um, that were uh, extended producer responsibility, which said oh, yeah. the people who produce the plastics yeah. are going to have to take it back and figure out how to how to deal with it. Um, uh, that uh, that didn't go very far. Um, we have extended producer responsibility for some things like tires and paint and mattresses and things, but. Okay. Um, then people like me are going to have to be more consistent then and not use stick-free, p- no stick pans because that's just as bad, right? Oh, that's PFAS. That's yeah. really bad. Yes. Yeah. So that's a huge, a huge. I just issue. hate the way that I can't clean the other pots. <laughs> you get addicted to these like conveniences, these conveniences and that's they're really right. bad for the earth. But if 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 Kimberly Stoney succeeds in, with her allies in convincing Connecticut to pass an environmental rights amendment. Maybe we'll start to turn the tide. How can people get involved, Kimberly? So um, right now we have a, a petition um, that is on our link tree, um, which uh, has, take, goes to the key legislators who need to introduce this in the Government Administration and Elections Committee, because if it doesn't go there, it won't go anywhere in the next session. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we are having trainings for people to learn about how to advocate so we're having a training um we're actually having a, a, a zoom webinar tomorrow about green amendments across the country and we're having a training on november the first for connecticut activists to learn how to advocate for the connecticut environmental rights amendment in our own state is there one stop shopping place on the web where they can do the petition and sign up for the training so um 
the uh, the best place to go is the Linktree, which is Linktree, C T E R A, um, and that uh, we keep putting up new things on there as uh, we get new resources and we get new um, things that we're we're working on. Another important place to go is the ctnofa.org, which is the Connecticut Northeast Organic Farming Association. And um, I have a page, an advocacy page on that on that uh, website, so you can look at all okay, kinds so of things. Okay, so know where to send people. Yep. ctnofa.org and the link tree for the ERA. Mm-hmm. Keep up the good fight, Kimberly Stoner. Okay, thank you Thanks very much. Thanks for schooling me on bees and ants <laughs> and the future of our, uh, our planet. Thanks to um, Nora Grace Flood, who is doing amazing work, stepping in for Harry Jones as the producer on this program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day, all night, and all week long at WNHH New Haven's home for Community Radio. Mm-hmm.